And it's a great joy to be here again uh, at the Whole One Conference and uh, to share with our dear brother Stephen and uh, the ministry of God's Word. Uh, I'd like to turn, please, to the book of Psalms, uh, Psalm 44. Now, what I have uh, on my heart today is a bit different. Um, I think I was here about three years ago, but whether I'll be back after today, I'm not sure. Because what I want to do today is tell you two stories. And uh, I want to tell the story this afternoon of the Fisherman's Revival of 1921-23. And then in the evening I want to tell the story of the Lewis Revival in the 1950s. Um, I should say there's plenty of biblical precedent for doing this because the Israelites were constantly telling and retelling their history, what God had done for them. And I suppose they did it for a number of reasons. The first one would be that as they recounted the story of what God had done in the past, it brought glory to God. It glorified their God. Secondly, I suppose it, it encouraged each other. They encouraged each other by recounting what God had done. And thirdly, I suppose it would stimulate them to greater devotion and dependence on the Lord. So, um, I was going to say put away your notebooks, but you don't need to put away your notebooks. But there won't be any deep theology, I'm afraid. Uh, not that I can give deep theology anyway, but I believe that this is what the Lord has put in my heart to basically tell the story of these revivals and try and get some lessons uh, for us today. So we're depending on our brother here for some meat. <laughs> uh, this is very much the bread of the sandwich, so uh, we hope there'll be some meat that will be provided. Well, let's read please Psalm 44 and verse 1. The title is to the chief musician for the sons of Korah, Maskell. Maskell is a psalm of instruction, giving instruction. Verse 1 says, We've heard with our ears, O God, our fathers have told us what work thou didst in their days, in the times of old, how thou didst drive out the heathen with thine hand, and plantedst them, how thou didst afflict the people, and cast them out. For they got not the land in possession by their own sword, neither did their own arm save them, but thy right hand, and thine arm, and the light of thy countenance, because thou hadst a favour unto them. Isn't that lovely? Thou hadst a favour unto them. Verse 4, Thou art my king, O God. Command deliverances for Jacob. Through thee we will push down our enemies. Through thy name will we tread them under that rise up against us. For I will not trust in my bow, neither shall my sword save me. But thou hast saved me, thou hast saved us from our enemies, and hast put them to shame that hated us. In God we boast all the day long, and praise thy name forever. Selah. The psalmist, we're not sure who it is, it might have been David, but he's looking back, verses 1 to 3, he's looking back to the past. There is a responsibility on fathers to tell certain things to their children. Uh, that's clearly stated in scripture. And I think when you think of it in a spiritual sense, there is a duty 
on spiritual fathers to tell their children certain things. And David, if David wrote this psalm, he's saying, we've heard, we've heard the story, we've heard the report. You'll notice that at times when the Israelites are telling each other stories about their past, very often they go back to the deliverance from Egypt. It's the exodus. It's coming out through the Red Sea. It's coming through the wilderness. But this is not what David's speaking about here at all. He's speaking about possessing the land. He's speaking about gaining their inheritance. He's speaking about them gaining ground and expanding their kingdom. And so he's looking back in verses 1 to 3 in times of old in our father's days. But then from verse 5 to 8 he's looking forward. He says through thee will we push down our enemies. So he's anticipating that the God that worked in the past is going to work in the future. And the blessing that they've seen in the past will be replicated in the future. And so he's saying, as he looks back, they didn't win territory. They didn't gain possession through their own might and their strength. It was thine arm. It was thy power. Because thou hadst a favour to them. And then he comes to the future and he says, I'm not going to trust in my bow. I'm not going to trust in my strength. I'm going to trust in the Lord. And through the Lord... What happened in the past is going to happen in the future. <laughs> now I know some don't believe that. Some don't believe that's possible. Brothers and sisters, it's verily possible. And the bridge between the past and the future is verse 4. Let me just say a few things about verse 4. And it's his present appeal. And, and David says, Thou art, depending on the version you're reading, Thou art he. My king, O God, command deliverances for Jacob. Let me just say three things about that before we move on. First of all, he addresses the unchanging God. What David is saying is that the God that moved in the past, the God that blessed in the past, the God that routed the enemies and expanded the borders of Israel, Thou art even he, my king, O God. In other words, what David is saying is, Israel's God is ours. Brothers and sisters, let's just get a grip of that. Let's get a grip of that when we think of biblical history. Let's get a grip of that when we think of our own history. Blessing in the 20th century in Scotland. Let us get a grip of this, that their God is our God. And he's the unchanging God. And secondly, not only does he address the God who doesn't change, but he addresses the God who is sovereign. Thou art my king, O God. And notice what he says, command deliverances. David has this idea of God, that God is the sovereign, he's the king, and that everything is in his hand, and he just has to say the word. He just has to command deliverances and it happens. Isn't it wonderful? It's like, it's like the creation. He spake and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. It's like the centurion saying to the Lord Jesus, speak the word only 
And my servant shall be healed. And David has this vision, which I trust we'll share in today, brothers and sisters. David has this vision of the unchanging God, that all he has to do is command, and it will happen. What a God we have. And then notice finally, not only the unchanging God, and the God of absolute sovereignty, but he is the God of faithfulness. He doesn't say command deliverances for Israel. He says, command deliverances for Jacob. Now, when we were taught this anyway, that when, when Jacob is used of the nation, when Israel is used of the nation, you're thinking of their privilege and their dignity, a prince with God. But when Jacob is used of the nation, you're thinking of God's faithfulness despite human frailty. And we're thinking of the experience of Jacob, the supplanter, the man who um, had a lot of false starts and had a lot of wrong paths, and yet, despite it all, our God is the God of Jacob, the God who remains faithful. Brethren and sisters, let us just get a a grasp of that before we even think about this story we're going to look at this afternoon. Let's get a grasp of the fact our God is the unchanging God. He is the sovereign God. He is the God of absolute faithfulness despite our unfaithfulness. There's a lovely verse in scripture. You can interpret it a few ways. But if we believe not, he abideth faithful. He cannot deny himself. Brothers and sisters, that's the kind of God we have. And that's the bridge between the past and the future. That's going to make the difference between looking back with nostalgia at the past and looking forward with confidence to the future is getting a grasp of the God that we have. Now let's think about the fisherman's revival. Well, our story today, and you'll just pardon me doing this, I hope nobody's offended by this, but our story today begins on the 15th of October 1921. And it's a dark, uh, cold, rainy night in Great Yarmouth in the Market Square. And they've just cleared away all the, um, the stands. The market traders have gone. It's a Saturday night. And there are groups of young people wandering around. Some are walking up and down. Some are standing in groups talking. And it is the Scottish invasion. You know all about the Scottish invasion? You know that in the early 1900s, the herring industry, that uh, the Scots uh, fishermen would follow the shoals of herring around uh, the United Kingdom and East Anglia, they referred to as the Scottish invasion. There was about 700 fishing boats from these parts and at least 7,000 fishermen would descend on Lowestoft and Great Yarmouth for the herring season. And added to that, there was an army of, uh, of women who would be gutting and packing the herring. And there were special trains that went down from Aberdeen and uh, from, the, from the coast. Special trains taking people down for the herring season. They would stay down there for months. Uh, and you all know this, of course, it was the Scottish invasion. And here they are down in Great Yarmouth. And it's been a very poor season, very poor season. Not much to take home. Uh, not much money to spend and people are just milling around and it's getting dark, it's October it's later on, it's 9 o'clock and there are two young men step forward to hold an open air and one of them begins to sing and he's singing, he's just a young man and he's singing about his testimony he's singing how the Lord saved him 
And the people begin to gather round, and a little man steps forward, and he's a stocky, well-built man, and he's got a voice like a megaphone, and he starts to preach, and his text, I've never preached on this in the open air, I doubt if I ever will, his, his text is Isaiah 63 verse 1, who is he that cometh from Edom? with dyed garments from Bosra, marching in the greatness of his strength. Um, and then it goes on to say, I, the Lord that speak in righteousness, mighty to save. And the man is preaching about a God of judgment, a God who's going to wade through the blood of his enemies as he comes in judgment. Ah, but he's a God of, a God of salvation, a God who's mighty to save. And gradually the silence descends and suddenly there's an outbreak of weeping. People are, are weeping in the open air in Great Yarmouth, 15th October 1921. People are down on their knees. By the end of his message, there are people lying in the gutter, crying to God for mercy. And somebody who was there said it was like a scene from a battlefield. People were prostrate on the ground, crying out to God to have mercy upon them. It was the beginning of what we know as the Fisherman's Revival. I want to just tell you a story of that. The preacher was a man called Jock Troop. And uh, this is a claim to fame. He was born in Murray. He was born in Dalahy. And uh, his parents moved up to Wick uh, when he was just a young boy. And uh, he grew up to be... He was a, he, Jock Troop was a kind of larger-than-life figure, I think. Uh, he was quite a character. He was known as he grew up to be a young man that he was a notorious cursor and swearer and a notorious gambler. And uh, he, he was a kind of leader of men, I think, a leader of boys at least. And he grew up in Wick and he trained after school to be a cooper. So he'd be making the barrels that they held these, the herring in. Uh, Wick had exploded as a centre of the herring. I'm, I'm telling you things you know, I know this, apologies. But uh, Wick had exploded as a centre of the herring industry, and there was a great demand for barrels, no plastics in these days, everything had to be made, and he was a skilled cooper. Well, he wanted to get, his parents were Christians, but he wanted to get away from home as quickly as he could. He wanted to shake off the restraint. First World War came along, and he was called up to uh, serve in the Royal Naval Patrol and he was based in a place called Kingston just outside Dublin which was part of Britain at that point the Empire well there was a couple in Dublin Mr and Mrs West probably came from Gamery and uh, they ran the YMCA and they took an interest in these men that were coming from all over the country and they would take them home and give them tea and so on and take them to the meetings. And so Jock Troop found himself being invited along and coming along. And despite his behaviour and his rebellion, he was impressed with what he heard. And one night, he, he relates this, that one night he flippantly said to Mr. West, I'll maybe get converted myself. He just meant it as a joke. But he said, no sooner had he uttered these words that he felt God was taking a dealing with him. He came under conviction of sin. He went to sea the next day, and he was out on patrol the whole week. It was the most miserable week of his life. He felt the weight of his sin, the weight of his guilt, and he resolved that as soon as the ship came back to the port, he would seek out Mr. and Mrs. West, 
and he would see about getting converted. And he went, as soon as they got in, he went up the, up the street into Dublin, went to the West House. Mr. West was out. Mrs. West was there. They explained what had happened during the week. Mrs. West sat him down and opened the scriptures. Oh, wonderful sisters to be able to do this. She opened the scriptures and began to read him verses from the word of God about how he could be saved. And uh, he listened and he read the verses, but it wasn't getting through. And he came to this conclusion that he couldn't be saved, that he was lost. And uh, eventually he left and made his way back to the ship. And when he got to the wheelhouse, he thought, it's now or never. And he got down on the floor in the wheelhouse and he cried to God for mercy. And he asked God to save him. And at that moment he was converted. And when he rose up from his feet, from his knees, he felt the, the load just slide off him he said the load of his sin and his guilt and he went down to the, the cabin and the men were all sitting around the table and they'd already dealt out his hand on the cards and he said boys I'll never be back here again playing cards with you I've been converted I'm a saved man that was the beginning after the war he came back to Wick and he uh, threw himself into the work of the Salvation Army in Wick and children's work, open air work, preaching. I'll tell you a bit about his preaching later on if I've got time. But uh, quite a preacher and enthusiastic Christian. He'd found the law. Well, it came around to autumn, 1921, and the fleet are now making preparation to go down, right down to the East Anglia, down to uh, Lowestoft and Great Yarmouth. And uh, he's going down as well as the Cooper. He's going down there and he's making his way down and he comes to Aberdeen. Wonderful. And he comes to Aberdeen on his way down to Great Yarmouth. And just along the road here, Market Street. 200 Market Street, the Fisherman's Mission. And he went into that meeting. And the man was preaching on the subject of who will ascend into the hill of the Lord, who will stand in his holy place, he that has clean hands and a pure heart. And Jock Troop, as he sat there, just up the road, as he sat there under the word of God, he felt God's presence to such an extent he had to get up and leave the meeting. If you get up and leave, I'll assume that's what's happened today. But uh, he, he had to get up and go out and he turned into a close just along the road here. And he got down on his knees and he surrendered himself to God. Do you believe in the second blessing? I don't. But I believe in the second blessing, and the third blessing, and the fourth blessing, and the fifth blessing. Brothers and sisters, I believe that we need to bring our conversions up to date. I believe we need to have experiences with God. I believe that's what Romans 12 was all about. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. And Jock Troop would never talk about what happened along the road here in Aberdeen, but it made a fantastic difference in his life. He put himself on the altar for God. Can I appeal to the young people here today, and to all the people too, of course? Don't you think for a minute that when you look back to the moment of your conversion, that's your last experience with God. Dear brother, dear sister, we need to be real about our position before God, about our state before God. And if there's things that need to be sorted out, we need to get into the presence of God in tears as he did and simply surrender ourselves to the will of God. That's Romans 12. And he carried on down to Yarmouth. 
and he preached on that night and people were converted somebody said that that open air meeting was like an earthquake and it was as though the aftershocks went on for the whole week we all went back to the work on Monday Jock Troop was working away and a foreman arrived at the door could you come there are people that are working for me and they cannot physically work because they're under such conviction of sin and he would go through all that week he'd be visiting people people would be coming asking for help asking for advice and women who were gutting the herring would get down between the barrels on their knees crying to God for mercy there was a Everyone was talking about being converted. Everyone was talking about being saved. Fishermen were pleading with the skippers not to go to sea before the gospel meeting. Because they wanted to get right with God. There's another man down there. A man by the name of Douglas Brown. He was an Englishman. And he was the opposite of Jock Troop. He was a kind of shy, more refined kind of man. And the two of them worked together preaching the gospel and people were being saved all the time and uh, some of you have no doubt read the, the book by Jackie Ritchie Floods Upon the Dry Ground he tells about how his father sent a telegram home to say saved 10 miles from the Knoll lightship and then he added last one to ring in on this ship in other words all the other crew members have been saved and lives were transformed and the word was spreading back to the home communities and people were being saved at home I should say that there were outbreaks of revival outbreaks of blessing in different places uh, quite apart from this but as the word was filtering back home the change in these men and women people at home were being converted and the story is told about the fisher people of Eyemouth. Now it's come to the end of the fishing season and they're all coming home and they're all gradually working their way up. And as they come into Eyemouth, and you go to Eyemouth, you'll find it's the mouth of the eye, of course. The river eye. And you come in, you come round the headland and you come in. And as they're coming round the headland and uh, the drifters are coming in and they can hear the men on the boats and they're singing hymns. And their families are down on the headland to welcome them in. And they're singing the songs of Sankey and Moody, good gospel hymns they've been converted and their communities and their lives were totally changed well let me just go back to Jock Troop Jock Troop's down in I'm on shaky ground here now Jock Troop's down in Yarmouth and he sees a vision well he, that's what he thought anyway, he saw a vision and in this vision there was a man saying come to Fraserburgh to preach the gospel and uh, he told his friends and they said you're mad uh, everyone's being converted here people are being saved here why go to Fraserburgh he was convinced he got on a train and went right up to Fraserburgh got out of the, the station didn't know anybody in Fraserburgh decided he would go to I think is it Broad, is it Broad Street Broad Square in Fraserburgh went along to the square uh, to hold an open air meeting started to preach in the open air soon a crowd gathered the rain came on and so Jock Troop said, does anyone know anywhere we could go to continue the meeting? Somebody said, there's a Baptist church around the corner. Let's go around there. They're having a meeting there tonight. They went around the corner to the Baptist church. I'm sure your brother know this. They were around the corner to the church. The elders had been meeting. And they'd been having a meeting to decide to write to Jock Troop to ask him to come to Fraserburgh. And they walked out the door and here he is saying, can I come in and hold a meeting in your church? And Jock Troop said 
though he recognised one of the elders as the man he'd seen in the vision. <laughs> you know, it's easy for us to say, oh, hold on now. You know, we don't believe in visions. Well, we believe that God can do what God wants to do. And we've got to be very careful about visions, aren't we? But here was a man who felt that God was leading him to Fraserburgh and Fraserburgh knew times of great blessing. And Fraserburgh is still feeling the effects of that today, I believe. The gospel was being preached and souls were being saved. There was a man, uh, I'm coming a wee bit closer to home here, so I hope I don't tread on anyone's toes, but there was a young man down fishing in Yarmouth, Davy Cordner from Peterhead. And uh, he'd been saved as a young boy of 13. But he'd kind of drifted away. And when he heard the preaching of Jock Troop and, and uh, Douglas Brown, he was convicted and brought back to the Lord. And he was a quiet young man. But he had this conviction that he should go back home to Peterhead and start to preach in the open air just like these men had done. Well, he was thinking about this and wrestling about it and he thought, it's not really me at all, I can't really do this. And the words of the hymn came into his mind, Must I go and empty-handed? Must I greet my Saviour's soul? Not one soul with which to greet him. Must I empty-handed go? And he thought, Lord, if you want me to do it, I'll do it. And he told his skipper on the way home, I'm going to preach in the open air. Skipper said, Davy, you're far too quiet. He'll never do that. He went home and told his mum, who's a Christian, told his mother, I'm going to preach in the open air. She said, Davy, you're too quiet a boy. You're not, you're not, you're not jock troop. You can't do that. Saturday night, he went down to the centre of Peterhead. The Peterhead folks will know all about this, I'm sure. Two men from the Salvation Army joined them, stood up and started to preach. A crowd started to gather. That night, seven men were converted in Peterhead. Now, the development from Peterhead will know all this, but there had been blessing already in Peterhead. Uh, Alex Marshall uh, had been in Peterhead. There had been other preachers in Peterhead. There had been blessing in the gospel. Souls were being saved. But when, when Davy Corner came back, and this boy who was telling in the way that only Peterhead people can in the Peterhead Doric what the Lord had done for his soul how the Lord had saved his soul and uh, people were flocking to hear what he had to say and many were converted that night and in the nights to come and they used to, and I know we don't do this but uh, they used to appeal at the end if anyone wanted to be converted and here they were in the rain and uh, the men would put their coats down on the cobbles and people would come and kneel down in the main street in Peterhead, in the centre of Peterhead. They would kneel down on the, on the courts and they would accept the Lord Jesus as their Saviour. Times of revival, times of blessing. Well, Jock Troop continued up to Wick, home to Wick. And, uh, how's the time going? He continued home to Wick and... There were scenes of great revival in Wick. The, the, the buildings couldn't contain the people that were coming to hear the gospel. People were being saved. Um, and again, coming very close to home here, a young man who'd been converted just a few months before, Angus Swanson, uh, joined with Jock Troop at that point in preaching the gospel. And uh, I believe Angus told the story, some of you know all this I'm sure, but Angus told the story how that one night they were praying, he and Jock Troop were praying, half past eleven at night, 
And Jock Troop said, Andy, we've got to go and preach. And Angus said, what, now? Yes, now. And they went out, it was getting on to midnight. And they stood in the middle of a square, up in Wick, and they started to preach. And the windows started to open, the doors started to open. Before long, there was a crowd round about them, and people were converted that very night. A man uh, was polishing the glasses in his bar in Wick. And he heard singing outside, and he laid down his glasses, and he went out, and he listened to the gospel, and he was converted. And he went back in and said, I'm finished here. I'm out. Pubs closed in Wick. Cinemas closed. They were, they were, there were there's, there's articles in the paper, it's quite funny recently, they're, they're bemoaning the fact that sports clubs have closed. People are not interested in golf and football now because they've got saved. <laughs> it's changed days, isn't it? People are not interested in these things now. And the world could see that something was happening now, brothers and sisters. You might say, you might be thinking, well, you know, there's a lot of excitement, there's a lot of things that uh, we were like the charismatic movement, there's a lot of enthusiasm, there's a lot of things that were maybe fleshly. Well, granted, in all these movements, there have been that type of thing. There was a mixed multitude that came out of Egypt, there's no doubt about that. But there's no doubt there was a work of God, and there were changes wrought in our societies and even people in the world newspapers had to take note of what was happening when God was at work and fishing communities all around this coast including Aberdeen and the villages all up towards Peterhead all on the Murrayford coast are coming to Cullen which is a special place in my heart and when the news came back and all these fishermen came back and been converted it stirred up the local Christians and in Cullen there was a, a Salvation Army officer, Reg Woods, and he decided to have some children's meetings. And there were some young girls professed salvation at these children's meetings. And he told them one day, he said, now go home and ask your mothers to pray for you. And there's a young girl there by the name of Anna Gardner, good coloured name, Anna Gardner. And she went home and told her mum what had happened and said, Mum, the man said, can you pray for me? And unknown to her and unknown to him, her mother had been under conviction for some time and she cried out, Aquini, I can't even pray for myself. And she was under such conviction to think that here was her daughter converted and she wasn't saved. And the very next morning, Reg Woods and his band from the Salvation Army had an open air, not knowing anything about this, right outside the house where they lived. And the dear woman was, was uh, in a wash house. And the, the story is that she had ran out into the middle of the circle and lifted up her hands and the soap suds were running down her hands. And she cried, I accept the Lord Jesus as my saviour. And her testimony electrified the town. Many were converted. These Cullen Salvation Army officers decided that they would go to Port Soy. Port Soy was known as a hard place, difficult place. And they had meetings there and they prayed about it and they saw blessing there and people were being converted. And one night they were in a hall in Port Soy and it was packed and a man came in who was obviously drunk and his name was Jimmy Hay he was from Sandend and as he sat and listened to the gospel he sobered up 
And in the middle of the meeting, he shouted out, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And there was somebody in the audience from Sandend, and she went home, and she went in past his mother and said, you, Jimmy, got converted tonight. His mother said, I'll wait up and see. And she waited up, and uh, later on, the door opened, and he shouts in the passageway, Mother, here's a new man here left. And the dear woman stood up with tears running down her face and she sang the hymn, Ring the Bells of Heaven. There is joy today for a soul returning from the wild. Brothers and sisters, there was a movement of God. And people were genuinely saved. People's lives were transformed. Societies were changed. And I'm looking into the faces of people and possibly your grandparents, your grandfathers, your grandmothers know all about this. Some of them may be even converted at this time. We have heard with our ears. I was speaking once in Och, this was a few years ago, about Jock Troop. And after the meeting, our brother Frank Reed, who's known to everyone here, I'm sure, Frank Reed came to me and he said, did you know my father was converted through Jock Troop in Great Yarmouth? I said, no, I didn't know that. I'd just spoken to him and A.B. Skinner came up to me and said, did you know my father was converted through Jock Troop when he came to Och? Brothers and sisters, there are people sitting in these seats today and they can trace their spiritual lineage back to the revival of 1921-1923. Now, we have heard with our ears. Our fathers have told us. I hope you don't think we wasted our time today. Our fathers have told us. Now, could the same happen today? Well, we're living in the day of social media. We're living in the day of, uh, you know, we're a lot more cultured, aren't we? Than these rustic fishermen. We're, we're, we're more educated now. We've got more money. We know more about the world. They were very constricted, restricted in their views. Yes, but we've lost all the ground that they gained. And our society and our country is in a state of utter turmoil. And the only answer, brothers and sisters, the only answer is command deliverances for Jacob. The only answer is for men and women like ourselves to get on our knees and confess our sin to God and plead that the unchanging God the sovereign God the faithful God will do today what he did 